Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Monday, May the 2nd. Well, we've got a lot to do on the show. What happened in Ottawa on the weekend or what didn't happen? What was Rolling Thunder all about and what wasn't it about? Those are really important questions. We'll try and delve into that as the morning goes on. Dr. Eric Cam uh, from Toronto Metropolitan University, a guest of ours as well. And I want you to listen to a chat with Maria Malik, a remarkable story. It's a feature story in the latest Toronto Life magazine that's on uh, newsstands tomorrow, wherever you get your magazines. You can find it tomorrow on May the 3rd of a fascinating story. She was a normal Toronto teenager, emigrated here when she was four years old, back to Pakistan when she was 17. And she didn't know what was waiting for her back in Pakistan. She tells it in her own words with me on Toronto Today. So that's what's coming up on the podcast. And it starts now. Thought it was really interesting over the weekend. What happened in Ottawa? And I want to get to some of that. I hope you had a good weekend. Maybe you even went up there. Um, I know uh, a friend of a friend who did not to protest, but he was just going for a regular visit. And they reminded him about Wednesday. You're like, you know, there's um, there's a uh, a protest happening. And he pays attention like, you know, sometimes I rate people and they're like, I'm like, they're a one out of 10 for this and a nine out of 10 for that. He's about a six out of 10 for paying attention to stuff. I think he's better than average, but he had no idea this was happening. No clue that this was going on in Ottawa. And maybe many Ottawa residents didn't. Um, but yeah, we didn't get much um we didn't preview a lot of this we didn't i don't think we talked about it on the show maybe from monday through thursday outside of to say we might talk about it on friday then we did that um because you don't want to be behind on a on a potential story and an angle um but it just felt different this time around this was meant to be about freedom and liberty and independence and it trailed off too often times too often it trailed off into kind of screeds about conspiracy theories and government control. And I'm the first person, I'm the first person that wants to listen to people that have open minds. The first person that wants to say there's been some expression of independent thought that I think, I think in the last 27 months has been trampled on a little bit. I do think that. Um, And remember also, you've got a more prepared city and you've also got a different the, the, there's no doubt Ottawa residents felt a little triggered, if you will. And they're they're a little wounded by what happened in February. Perfect storm of a lot of things. It really was um, federal vaccine mandates were problematic back then. There was no end in sight to any of what we were dealing with. We just gotten schools back open in the province of Ontario for two straight weeks. And we were all of a sudden subjected to what was going to happen in Ottawa. The municipal government under, uh, well, maybe, maybe the worst mayor in our country, Jim Watson, at least in terms of effectiveness and accountability. I still haven't heard what he got wrong, what he could have done better, what he would improve on the next time. Giant trucks descend like it's a Stephen King movie onto uh, downtown Ottawa. I'd love to know what he would do differently. So that's a factor. Provincial government didn't quite know whether it was its own, whether it had jurisdiction or not to do very much. I know they were criticized pretty heavily by some. I kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, well, you can get into this. They don't direct the police in Ottawa. They don't even direct um, the RCMP. The OPP and RCMP play both play a role in this particular situation. But I looked on the weekend and it was about what I thought it would be. Okay, 
Susan Delacorte put it, uh, I thought, really succinctly and smartly. She's a national columnist in the Toronto Star. Ottawa is boring again, to everyone's relief. Yeah, that's kind of how it went. And she noted the event will be remembered more for what it wasn't than for whatever it was supposed to be about. Now, there's a bunch of factors uh, involved in this, okay? There are. There were tickets here and there. There was a fracas here and a fracas there. There were vehicles that went down the wrong road. They got tickets right away. There was an appetite. Uh, um, Despite when I uh, lay out, there was an appetite for certain for um, people to protest. There was an appetite as well for people um, to get arrested and get tickets much more quickly than the last time. I mentioned it when it was happening in real time back in February. I remember these shows really, really well, really, really well. Um, But the concept was if you allow this and allow protesters to get emboldened, and you don't recognize that and take them seriously, that they're not going anywhere, that they're not leaving, packing up and leaving Sunday at 5 p.m., you will reap what you sow here. That's exactly what ended up happening. Now, we don't know the communication between the municipality of Ottawa, uh, outgoing Mayor Watson, and the police. We know the police chief resigned in the midst, in the midst of an occupation. And by the time two and a half, three weeks are in, it's an occupation. It's not a protest anymore when the trucks wouldn't leave. It is that. You can tell me about vaccine mandates. You can tell me about conversations about what's been lost and what's been gained here. You can do that. I'm, I'm open-minded to that kind of stuff. What I still saw over the weekend, I didn't love it, but it means a little less now, is, you know, and I think there are some members of the media that like digging in on this that consider the unvaccinated, the great unwashed. We've got to keep them at arms. Like some of the stuff that's been written and some of the stuff that was recently written, I feel like uh, was a more common sentiment in terms of keep those dirty, unvaccinated people away from it. Do not let them engage with society. Even more so, let's tighten the screws on them even more. Let's give them more stuff that we don't allow them to do. And there was a time and a moment, and I can freeze it in my own head and remember when it was in July, August, and September where I would have said vaccination's real important. And it was then, okay? This is not me changing my mind about what it was in July, August, and September. This just takes you back there to tell you how the majority of people in this province and this country and probably all of Western society felt. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated and it will reduce severity of outcome. Get vaccinated and it will factually it, it was proven at that time in the Delta wave to keep the pressure off the hospitals. Those are facts. There's data and numbers to back that up. Here's what there isn't numbers to back up anymore. That fully vaccinated people can't spread the virus. That fully vaccinated people can't test positive for the virus. All those things factor in. Okay. Your immunity from vaccines only goes so far, but it does go to a, to, to whatever degree it's deemed by the uh, you know by the by the moment in time your your uh, immunity by the way towards post uh, covid uh, reaction with your body and your immune system is also got some randomness to it some people go for months some people don't okay we're not testing everybody every single day this this kind of concept you'll hear this audio here 
there still is some misjudgment about the media or sorry, I'm, I won't say that there's some unfair judgment about the uh, the media in general. But there have been media sources. Again, we always say this. We don't all work in the same building. We don't all have the same perspective. We don't all have the same, uh, you know, bent, if you will. I try not to have any bent coming on this show. Some people believe me. Some people don't. And that's okay. That's absolutely your perspective to have. But this, you, you hear here a bit of a crowd gathering around, I think these were CBC cameras, and chanting fake news, fake news. This this was happening a fair bit over the weekend. What's going on over here? Something popping off over here. Oh, they're screaming fake news. Fake news. I think this is CBC or something. It's annoying more than anything. It's annoying more than anything. You can have what you want. You, I, there's people that I watch. There's people that I read. There's people that I don't read. And there's people that I turn off the TV the second I see them. For a long time, I would go to the uh, gym where I like to run. And I couldn't, you know how there's a constant uh, flow of news and a clock and weather in the upper right corner. You know that channel and I know that channel. I'm going to tell you something, and and listen. I know people at all these places. I know people at CBC. I know people at the uh, at the radio news wheel. I know people at the at the TV station I just mentioned. Some good people there, but I couldn't be near the televisions for months on end. Like I mean, there was about three months: December, January, February. I couldn't be near the TV because I thought it was all too much. So the people chanting fake news. Think how they feel. They don't know anybody there. They don't have any friends there. They, they don't they don't want to get an email from a colleague who said, how could you say that about us? We're doing the best we can. And that might be true in some context. Do I think there's people in the media keeping this alive? You bet I do. You bet I do. Do I think there's people that think it sells newspapers? Yes. People that gets more eyeballs on television? Yes. Do I think there's people that don't want to get in their cars and fill their gas tank and go back to work? Yes, yes, yes. All that's true. But I'm not going to. Honestly, the assailment of people like you hear in the chant right there, that doesn't go very far for me. It doesn't. We'll have to have proper conversations about what we do, what we do with people that are unvaccinated right now. When do all federal mandates get lifted? What are metrics that are there metrics? Are there off ramps? That's all I've ever asked for. All we've ever wanted is the idea of when do normal things happen again? And if they're allowed to happen in this context, if 19,000 people are allowed to scream at the Maple Leafs tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning, when can somebody, and you can go do that, when can you get on an airplane? Because you can now go to a bar, when can you get on an airplane or a via rail train? I think those are really understandable, fair questions at the end of the day. I'll give you one other note on this. Think about the notion Think about the notion of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Trevor Noah from The Daily Show hosted the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Big ballroom, lots of politicians. They were fully vaccinated. They were boosted. So they kind of had a vaccine mandate for that particular dinner. But here's a reminder of what we take for granted, what some people in the media take for granted, too, and how lucky we are that we live where we live. You can, you can ask questions about Canada. I'm just doing that right now. Some people were asking more questions over the weekend. I don't agree with all the questions that they're asking, but here's Trevor Noah laying it out, and we have to take we have to take this at face value, process it, and I agree with this sentiment here. In America, you, you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable, even if it makes your viewers or your readers uncomfortable. 
You understand how amazing that is? I stood here tonight and I made fun of the President of the United States and I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be fine, right? Like, do you really understand what a blessing it is? Maybe it's happened for so long that you, it might slip your mind. It's a blessing. In fact, here, ask yourself this question. Honestly, ask yourself this question. If, if Russian journalists who are losing their livelihoods, as you were talking about, Steve, and their freedom for daring to report on what their own government is doing, if they had the freedom to write any words, to show any stories, or to ask any questions, if they had basically what you have, would they be using it in the same way that you do? Ask yourself that question every day, because you have one of the most important roles in the world. And some of us take it really seriously. And some of you listening appreciate that. We have we have been asking more questions, perhaps, than we were 14, 15 months ago. They're valid, honest questions. They're about our communities. They're about our families. They're about the disenfranchised. They're about people who are working in healthcare right now who deserve better working conditions than the status quo moving forward. All those things are accurate. So look, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of people thinking we're super divided. It happened in Ottawa again. Look what happened in February. We're not as divided as we think. We're not as constrained to say what we think. You can drive around Ottawa with an F Trudeau flag, and you can even do it a second time. You were allowed to do it 28 straight days in February. You were allowed to do it over the weekend. And there's a lot of countries in which you cannot. So you got to understand, you don't have to love the sentiment. You don't have to like the profanity, but you have to love the fact that you're able to do it. And Justin Trudeau, by the way, for whatever foibles you think he has or I think he has, allows you to do that. And I bet you he always will. And I bet you whoever the next prime minister always will. And every prime minister before Justin Trudeau in Canada decided that they would allow you to do that as well. But we're pleased to be joined right now uh, by the MPP for Pickering, Uts, Uxbridge. Uh, I'm a Durham Region resident, so never underrate Pickering or Uxbridge, even though I'm an Ajax resident. There's no rivalry there. We're all brothers and sisters in Durham Region. And he's also the finance minister for the province of Ontario. He is Peter Bethlen Falvey. Uh, Peter, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you for making the time for our audience. Oh, great to be on the show. And thanks for inviting me, Greg. Absolutely. Um, this is a look, this is a budget really unlike any other. But I was talking with people over the weekend and and they're a little older, maybe wiser as well than me. And they remember we the financial crises are no stranger to Ontario. We went through the global recession in, in 2008, 2009, where really, really uncertain times. People are worried about the auto industry, home prices. We went through a, a big recession in 1990, 91. And I think that was an NDP government in 91. That's a liberal government in 08, 09. We've got a progressive conservative government now. Um, there's challenging times for, for all the parties over the last 30 years putting a budget together. Look, I am uh, uh, got into politics to, to fix the books of the province and, and rebuild the economy, which have fallen way behind under the Liberals. Uh, but uh, look, we're, we're balancing the budget two years faster than we thought even a year ago. The debt to GDP has come down by eight percentage points. That's that's massive. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I think we've got the balance where we have to look down the road a little bit and building infrastructure and just 
invest. Uh, it, we, it, for example, uh, you mentioned term, and um, you know, great that you're in Ajax right next door to Pickering. Mm-hmm. We're starting the process to widen the 401, get out of gridlock. Uh, that's uh, I was knocking on doors on the weekend. I, I tell you, high fives all around Durham for that. Um, you know, we're building, uh, rebuilding this economy. Uh, we need to uh, get uh, more jobs and bigger paychecks. And just thrilled that we GM announced a couple of weeks ago with us that uh, they're bringing 2,600 jobs back to Oshawa. Uh, speaking of Durham, so we're doing the types of critical investment that will uh, allow our economy to rebuild. That, that we think about infrastructure not just for today but for tomorrow, and uh, and that's the way we'll we'll bring this deficit and debt down. And uh, I'm very confident in that. That's what I think about with transit is it, it means a lot to people in major cities, and it should. And, and there has to be a balancing act for governments and and for advocacy. Public transit's incredibly important, and I'd say confidence in it post-pandemic is really important because um, there's jobs on the line and, and economic principles there as well. But there's many people. My parents, for example, live 20 minutes outside of London. Public transit doesn't mean anything to them. I mean, they, they want it for the people that need it, but they want cle- you know clear, affordable roads that get them to and from point A to point B and get them home in time to spend more time with their family. So those things do matter to people. Oh, absolutely. Right across Ontario, many places you don't have public transit. There's no opportunity for a subway. Now we are in congregated areas like Toronto and, and G- the GTA investing uh, almost uh, $62 billion in public transit. But a lot of people are driving around this whole province and they got to drive on, on highways as, as they do with the electric vehicles that we're going to build. They're not going away. So we increased the highway budget by $4 billion and we're going to build highways that we've got over 500 uh, projects in, on the go, uh, including the north, including right by London, right across this whole province. People got to move. They, they want to spend more time with their families and they don't want to spend it in grid, gridlock, including your parents and uh, people in London. Peter Bethlen Falvey, our guest on Toronto today. He's the finance minister uh, for the province of Ontario. Election, of course, uh, 31 days from today on June 2nd. The criticism comes from Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Duca that there's going to be cuts to health care and education. Will there be cuts to health care and education to pay for some of this economic progress? Good Lord, I, I'm sending both of them back to math class. Uh, uh, you know, the education budget is increasing by almost $3 billion this year. Uh, a chunk of that, a billion four, is going into the best child care deal that was negotiated in Canada by Ontario. Uh, we've still got some money for COVID for our education system. We're building more schools. The, 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 revenue, the, the dollars per pupil is going up again. Every year it's mm-hmm. gone up. It's going up almost a thousand. So, you know, we're investing in education and the health care budget is, is probably the biggest increase uh, that we're seeing, you know, almost, uh, Three and three, three point three billion dollar increase, and you can see it. We're building hospitals. We're building long term care. Uh, we're building. Uh, we're hiring more nurses, and we're hiring personal support workers, and we're giving them increased compensation. So, you know, we're doing a lot of things at the same time. Uh, we got to stay open. We can't be brought to our knees uh, because of the lack of investment by by both Stephen Del Duca and Andy Horvath uh, over the previous years uh, when they had the time ta- chance to do it. They talked about it, Craig. Uh, they didn't get it done. We're getting it done. This is also something where, uh, but I think COVID, you mentioned it, and it factors into education spending. C- can't I make the case there will be less, um, you know, safeguards for COVID? You had to hire a bunch of jan- new janitors, new custodians, new support. Um, that won't be necessary in a post-pandemic universe. So the, the amount of spending right now, what, what's in what's in one column probably won't be there in column B three, four years from now post-pandemic, even though we're not talking about three or four more years here. Well, we still have money in today for, for COVID, $6.9 billion. Uh, 
um, because the job's not done yet. Uh, we are pandemic-proofing uh, our healthcare system as best we can uh, by building modern long-term care beds. You know, you go back to Ajax, uh, Greg. Yeah. From 2011 to 2018, with a long wait list to get into a long-term care home, the previous government built zero beds. The Liberals built zero beds, supported by the NDP. In Pickering, they built, in that same period, zero beds. We, uh, you would know the Ajax Pickering Hospital. Mm-hmm. We built a long-term care facility. They called it a rapid build, six floors. We built it in 13 months. They said it would take eight years. Doug Ford said, that's no good. Let's build it now. We built it January 2021. I cut the ribbon just a few months ago. We're accepting residents there now. 320 modern beds right beside the hospital, so we have a campus of care. This is about, you know, we don't know what's around the corner with regard to COVID. We don't know what, what else a pandemic might throw at us, throw at us but we are prepared. We are, we are more prepared. We've learned a lot, and we're going to make the investment so, so we can stay open. Investment in the province is interesting to me, and uh, without, you know, I'm not going to ask you to comment on the protests themselves, but when you see everything that happened in Ottawa for the four weeks, or the Ambassador Bridge or the Blue Water Bridge in Sarnia jammed up for a few days, you're the finance minister of the province. You got to cringe a little bit because those images and that video goes all the way around the world. What what what, what gets done in the months um, in the months subsequent to that to let the world know that that's not going to that's not happening now and that's not going to happen again. And you can invest in Ontario and that's not going to happen. Well, first off, I, say, I would say peaceful pro- protest is part of our core uh, value system in this country. And I'll always support that. But uh Obviously, illegal occupation and blockages of uh, key infrastructure is not. And that's why uh, we've uh, we passed a bill and we've put uh, additional funding to reinforce our our the, the tools that our enforcement people have to be able to deal with things like that. And, uh, you know, so uh, Doug Ford immediately, uh, along with Vic Fidelli, went down to Washington to reassure everyone that uh, Canada and Ontario in particular um, has the infrastructure, has the will and the commitment to enforce uh, the laws uh, through through our police. And uh, so the message, I think, is clear to the world that uh, Ontario and Canada is open for business. And listen, the two-way mm-hmm. trade between the two countries is so critical that uh, 250 years of that history and beyond is not, not going to uh, uh, be impacted. Peter Bethlen Falvey, our guest on Toronto Today. So you mentioned high fives. You're getting applause for some, for some transit announcements and, and putting shovels in the ground to make life easier for a commuter. I want to know if you're meeting with people, what are they saying the Ford government the last four and a half years could have done better? I, I, I look last year at this time, we closed up the outdoors. I'm not sure we should have done that. I think we isolated a lot of seniors. We, we kept kids from playing sports. It's one thing if we can't make schools work, Peter, but we, we really, we, should, we were closed up longer than any other jurisdiction in North America for five weeks. Long-term care was a relative disaster. We didn't get on this soon enough in the spring of 2020. What are voters telling you? I wish the Ford government had done blank. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, look, uh, you could always do better. You learn a lot of things, but uh, we picked the lane to protect people's lives and health. Uh, That's the lane we picked. Uh, I, I would say, again, we inherited a system where uh, we weren't prepared to uh, as well as we could have been, but you know, generally, uh, relative to other jurisdictions, whether you look at Quebec, Manitoba, Michigan, and New York, right next door, we fared better. Um, I, I think that uh, the plan to stay open, investing in those uh, beds, investing in hiring more nurses and personal support workers, and compensating them, building the hospitals. I announced an increase of ten billion dollars to building hospitals. I mean, the, the thirty-one thousand new beds that we've already announced and then already started building uh, is the type of thing that will 
will allow us to stay open going forward. And, you know, are we relied on our chief medical officer and will continue to rely on the science, the, the advice of the experts. Uh, we picked the lane. And now, did, did, did anyone want to close schools and businesses? Absolutely not. Uh, it was a painful, painful process. And that's why we're investing so much to like mental health in our, our, our schools. Uh, mm. It's gone up from 10 million under Kathleen Wynne to $90 million we put in this year in this budget for mental health for kids. I think the best place for children is in school, and we're going to make sure that the investments are there so they can stay in school. Peter, thanks very much for making the time. I hope we get to chat again before June 2nd, but I appreciate you coming on this morning for our audience. Well, I appreciate you having me, Greg. You bet. Anytime. Peter Bethlen-Falvey is the finance minister for uh, the uh, Ford government and the province of Ontario. Uh, Today, we welcome in uh, Shiva Siddiqui. Uh, By the way, uh, Eid Mubarak. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, it's I've been waiting for this all month. Ramadan's finally over. No more fasting, and it's going to be an awesome celebration today. Um, but it, it does it. It end last night at sundown, does it? It starts at sundown. Yeah, so that's when you break your fast. So about eight. Uh, yesterday was like eight, almost eight thirty. Um, and you break your fast, and it's officially Eid. And then you know my kids are going to wake up today, and we've got a lot of stuff planned for them. And you know, people all over the city celebrate in different ways, especially since the pandemic has started. It's, you know, it's changed a bit. I mean, usually, you know, there's a morning prayer at your local mosque. Some people are doing it virtually and you go and you see people and you, you know, you, it's just such a nice reunion. Yeah, and you got to see faces. Like, not enough of this virtual praying. Get out <laughs> well, there, right? See a lot people. Of people. I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of churches, a lot of, a lot of congregations all over the city still are doing virtual for people who weren't comfortable. And then you just spend the whole day. It's honestly a feast everywhere you go, seeing family, seeing friends, depending on how you celebrate. We've, you know, we have, we've got the four kids. We've got a ton of presents for them. So what I do is I don't just wrap them up and just let them stare at it all month. I, I give them like a little treasure hunt. That's what I've always done since they were little kids. And every year, not that they're getting older, I'm like, do you guys still want to do this? And they're like, yes. So there's like clues all over the house. And at the end, there's this huge stash hidden somewhere. And I mean, when the weather was nice, we used to get, I used to hide little clues, you know, in the pool. Obviously, the pool's not open yet. And, um, my, my second son, he would just fully clothe. They'd figure out where the clue was. There was a rock at the bottom of the pool with a bag and a clue in it. And he'd jump right in, fully clothed, swim to the bottom of the pool. That's eagerness. That clue. Yeah, oh, or so desperation, excited. one or the other. <laughs> it could be both. So excited, or, hung, or he's but, hungry. And he thinks there's food at the bottom of the pool. Well, well, it's over now. We're going to be feasting all day, seeing lots of friends, seeing lots of family. Really excited, really happy. Eid Mubarak to everyone celebrating. Happy Eid. Hope you have a wonderful celebration. They've got this right in the UK today. It's also a bank holiday in the UK. So they have the full day off. Like no we, We're way. lucky to have you working. Yeah, it's just, the, I think that's the way that the schedule bounces in, uh, in the United Kingdom. So they have. Oh, like, it's not because of Eid. It's just coincidental. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's a bank. Oh, it's okay, just a, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got I mean, it. Boris, yeah, I know you expect Boris Johnson to, uh, to have enacted legislation to allow all <laughs> Muslims. The, and, and everybody, get, no, everybody gets the day off. Okay. Everybody yeah, gets the day everybody off. Everybody should the get the day off. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think that about the day after the Super Bowl. But then again, it's the opposite <laughs> of that because everybody's stomach's full after Sunday night with like nachos and dip That's and, true. and beer and stuff. Right. And everybody yes. could use to sleep in. The morning after the Super Bowl, but uh, but so far, uh, same for Eid. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Now you saw this story about I, I saw it too about a surgery that men can go get to get another uh, three inches of three height. To, Let me clarify: to, of height. <laughs> there are surgeries that you can add inches to everything, but I didn't think you could do this. And people are flying to um, to Europe to yeah, get so this surgery. Maybe it's not. Is it not legal even here? 
No, so it's three to five inches on your height. Um, so this has been around for a while, but this would be people who had uneven limbs. So, you know, it's, it wasn't cosmetic. It was just if you had, you know, one leg was longer than the other, whatever it was, they would, they could somehow, um, uh, lengthen your leg. So now during the pandemic, it's gotten really popular among men f- for cosmetic reasons. So you can add three to five inches. Now, would you do this? Let's say you were five, three or five, four. <laughs> okay. Imagine, <laughs> imagine going through life. Okay. You're yeah. how old are you? How tall are you? I'm five eleven and a half. I'm right under six feet, but I'm more than five okay. eleven. Okay. So imagine you were five every three. half inch matters, Sheba. So I'm a half inch. Give me a <laughs> okay. half inch there. Oh, I'm with you. I'm okay. with you on that. Okay, fine. Uh, would you cons- it's seventy five thousand dollars to make yourself three to five oh. inches taller. It's twenty five grand an inch. I uh I mean, I guess if you had the wherewithal and you had the economic me, that's a huge life changing moment to to go up from five four to five seven or five six to five nine, isn't it? Well, let me ask you: Do you think your life would be very different if you were the age you are and all the experiences you've had right now? If you were five three, um, yes, of course it would. Absolutely, okay. it would. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah, like how many? I, I'm trying to think how many men. How many men would be under five foot six? I'm trying to. That's a good Google search right now. One per. Well, okay, 14% of men, that's not, I'll have to go through some of this stuff. 14.5% of men are six feet or over. Would you have said that? I would have said more men would be six feet or over. Yeah, I would imagine. That's about one in every eight. Maybe because we notice the taller men more. Maybe that's what it is. No, <laughs> it, I'm serious. Like it might maybe be. Because it's an impression. Even if you look at CEOs of companies and whatnot, they're always, like, it's, that, that's a thing that they're, t- they're they, people gravitate towards taller Men. 8% of men in America are under 5'5". Five five. But wow. here's where, here's the big line for me. 5'7 and under is 21%. 6% of men are 5'6". 7% of men are 5'7". The most common heights are 5'8 to 5'11", which encompasses, oh my God, 58% of men are 5'8 to 5'11". And only, if I do this really quick, 21% are over 6 feet tall. I wouldn't have said that. So one out of every five men is under five. Is six seven. foot one or out of more. Every five men is over six foot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I see that. I don't know. This is gaining popularity. So I, I don't know if I, I I get it. Especially as a male, I get it. If you're five three, five four, maybe five five, it's a different kind of life, right? It's harder to you know get land that date to you know that experience, whatever it is. Now, be, can you slide down? Can you like? Here's one percent of U.S. women are six feet or taller. What if you're a woman and you thought you were too tall? Can you get smaller? Oh, you go straight to can you get modeling. A, a, no, why? I, I love, no, I know, come you're on. in the WNBA. But, yeah, um, or you're a model. You're a Victoria's Secret <laughs> model. You're in the Victoria's Secret fashion show every December. You are, yes. Um, but I wonder if there's women that think they're, way, they're too tall. I've only dated one woman that was taller than me. And it actually, actually was like high school. And many times, obviously, women get taller than men at the boys, girls get taller than boys at the same age. If a lot of a lot of parents are listening, thinking about elementary school when they were there, or now with their kids there, and and some of the tallest people there are, are girls, obviously. Yeah, and I do know women who think they're too tall. I, I personally think I love height, maybe because I've always been like way down here. I'm like five four, so looking up, I love height. I think there's there's no limit. I think you can't be too tall, especially for a man. You can't be too tall. I think you can. There's, no, oh my God, I wouldn't I want to be six it. foot eight. Are you kidding? Oh, Gord, wouldn't that it. be a terrible existence? You weigh in <laughs> yeah. on that? 
Oh yeah, totally. Six eight, ridiculous. Airplanes. Yeah, you can't. The sub movies. You're just buying clothes. You, you need to get everything tailored. You can't get. Oh, you can't get sexy. in a compact car. <laughs> then you don't buy a compact car. That's the beauty of it. You yeah. need everything. You know, extra large. The so Uber you shows up. It's a little Toyota Tercel. You can't get in the back seat. You got to lay down in the back seat like. Uh, like Custom you're, bed. I don't know. I love heights. Even on women, I think it's just so graceful. It's so sexy. It's beautiful. Yeah, I do. Th- I think. Um, yeah, I, I could. I could understand it for men who are about five three five. I. I wouldn't mess with it too much. I, we don't know the. Uh, well, you could be six two seventy five thousand dollars later. Six two and a half. Grand. Six two and a half. Seventy five grand feels uh, out there. A remarkable, remarkable story in this month's Toronto Life. We spoke to the new editor-in-chief. Um, he said, let's do some stuff with your show in Toronto today. I said, We said, that's fantastic. Here's um, here's the quote from the story uh, that is really the, the feature um, about a forced marriage. The quote, all I ever wanted to be was a normal Toronto teenager. But when I was 17, my parents brought me to Pakistan and married me off to my cousin, how I escaped an abusive relationship and found my way back home. It is a remarkable read. Uh, And joining us on the line, the subject of that read uh, in the Toronto Life interview is Maria Malik. It's great to have you on Toronto today, Maria. Thank you very much for making the time. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, your story is utterly um, remarkable. Um, it, it's uh, telling it, telling it to friends, telling it to to maybe acquaintances you get close with is one thing. What what what's that great leap forward where you say I want everybody to know about this because it it also can serve as as sort of you know what what where life can take you sometimes it can also serve you know serve as somewhat of a warning as well. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny because I actually didn't share this with a lot of people while, you know, going through it all because I was scared about how people would perceive it, what kind of reaction I would get. But recently, just back in January, I kind of shared it on my LinkedIn, um, just kind of hoping to see, okay, you know, let me just kind of get over the fear. Let me talk about this. I shared it with people and it went like the response that I got, I was completely amazed. And I think that's what made me realize, wow, I should have shared this story before because I had so many women and men reach out to me and say, oh my gosh, like I've been mm. through like this, or I know someone that's been through something like this. And I'm so glad that you were talking about it because it's, it's hard for people that go through something like this. And just in our culture, we typically don't talk about stuff like this. Yeah. So for me, when that happened and I just saw the response and how much people were appreciating me for telling the story and how much it was helping them and giving them just a little bit of hope, I knew that, okay, you know what, this is, it's larger than me. It's larger than life. And like, I should be talking about it more. Maria Malik is our guest. You can read this amazing story in uh, this month's edition of Toronto Life. So you come to Canada when you're four years old, junior kindergarten age, you're here almost a half decade. How do you end up going back to Pakistan? Why does that happen? Yes. Well, great question. So I guess for my parents, it was very new, right? They were brought up in a different country. They were used to a certain type of culture, customs, religion, and everything. And now being put in a situation where it's just so different for them, right? So watching me grow up, watching me want to kind of get, you know, comfortable in Canadian culture, doing the things that everybody else is doing, like dressing a certain way, going out, it was it was a little bit scary for them, I guess. And me being, you know, a normal teenager, I wanted to do all of those things, go out and party or, you know, hang out with my friends or wear jeans and that type of stuff. So I think that really kind of scared them. And 
I think for them, it felt like I was going away from my culture and that I would forget where my roots are. So that's really kind of what drove the whole move back to Pakistan. So when you get back, uh, but you don't know that the plan is for you to get married so young, you're probably growing up as a Toronto teenager, like other girls, talking about boys, boys talk about girls. We know those years. And, and you're, you're thinking, well, I'll get to make all my own choices in those departments. Right, exactly. Um, well, I, I had no idea. I don't think it was pre-planned. It was kind of, you know, we moved back. My parents really wanted us to get used to the Pakistani culture and learn more about, you know, just the customs and everything. And I think while we were there, there was just so much pressure because marriage, it's, it's a huge deal there, right? It's kind of like the end all be all, like everyone celebrates weddings to the max and marriage is kind of the ultimate goal there for women and men. So I think I, we just got kind of caught into it all and it, it just happened so quickly. I, I still sometimes wonder, wow, there's all, it happened so fast. And your marriage sounds, um, sound Ed, you're happily married now, but your first marriage sounded quite toxic, quite unhealthy. Did it start that way or did it get that way fast? I think it got that way fast. And I think the biggest problem was that, you know, I was raised in Toronto. I had different ideas, ideologies, like everything, the way that I was brought up, my mindset was so different versus somebody that's born in Pakistan. So when you brought those two together, obviously there was going to be Mm -hmm. a big clash. Right. And I think that's why I was just so miserable because I was trying to fit into a society that was so unknown to me and I had no idea how to navigate through it. And I tried my best, but mm. obviously it just, it wasn't, it just wasn't working. So I want people to read this in, in Toronto life for sure, but where you're at now um, took time. It took probably process. It took, it took some forgiveness. Um, your, your parents may not have known all that you went through, but you've been able to be open with them, share with them. And I'm sure there's, there's a there's a forgiving process as well. You've got to give them the information, but then you've also got to say, I trust them enough to tell them this. I, I want a good relationship with my parents going forward. I want to leave some of the past behind me. How do you get to that point? I guess one of the greatest things about Pakistani culture is that they're so big on family. And that was something that was always taught to me. I'm so close to my family. I have three younger siblings and, you know, I love my mom and dad. And I think for me, just moving on with life without them was just not an option. So there was, it, was a, yeah, it was hard. And we had to kind of find a ground where we both kind of respected Pakistani culture, Canadian culture. And it took time. I will say it took time. It took a lot of understanding from both sides where everybody was coming from. It mm-hmm. took a lot of communication, a lot of tears, a lot of yeah. struggles. But I think eventually, you know, we realized ultimately family is very important. and my parents realized that, you know what, she's our daughter, and if she's not happy, then we can't be happy either. So after many years, we're finally at a, at a very good place now. Maria Malik is our guest on Toronto Today. I've only got a minute left, but your story's so inspirational. I want people to read it. And I always feel, even to a lesser extent, I've gone through nothing like you've went through. But sometimes the the, the things that you appreciate the most are the hardest to achieve. They're, it, they're the hardest. If, they, if things come easy for anybody, there's no way you appreciate. Like if you work hard and you're patient and, and you play out the long game, you've done all that. This like you mu- Like life is good for you right now. And it must be even feel even better because of what you had to come through to get to that good life. Oh my gosh. If you had asked me just a few years ago, Greg, like, Hey, did you think you'd be living this life? I would have said, absolutely. No. I, I think also what I went through just made me push that much harder to get to the life that I want. 
and do the things mm-hmm. that I want to do. Like I'm now doing my master's in clinical psychology, even graduating from university was so hard for me, right? Starting my own business, traveling the world, doing all of these things. Like just a few years ago, it was impossible for me to do. And you're right. It is, mm-hmm. it is much sweeter now knowing that I made it this far, you know, despite everything that I had to go through. And I do think it's made me the way that I am. It's made me resilient. And I, I don't know. I just, I'm so thankful to have made it this far. Very, very thankful. Well, the story is remarkable. Uh, it's on uh, newsstands tomorrow in Toronto Life Magazine. And I'm so glad you told it. And I'm so glad you shared it with our listeners as well, because um, they'll head and, and read more about who you are. It's, uh, I, I, I just, I love sharing inspiring stories like yours. Thank you for spending the time. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, Fred. I really appreciate it. Maria Malik, uh, that is on the newsstand, Toronto Life Magazine, uh, tomorrow. Uh, Ryerson University has changed its name uh, to Toronto Metropolitan University, TMU, and a professor of economics at that school joins us now, as he does for uh, his regular Monday visit, Dr. Eric Kemp. You're not going to get any, look, I, I, I can be cynical by nature. I like this name. I like the TMU. I like that you kept the blue and gold colors. I'm not I'm not going to say anything bad about this. I can't believe how many people were criticizing this. I'm in on TMU. No matter what they would have chosen, there would be people who hate the name. But the reality is we knew why they changed the name. We knew the justification for changing the name. So the idea was to pick something that was firm yet flexible, strong yet flexible, something vanilla, something that would offend nobody. And so they picked a name that I can't see anybody having a true problem with sort of intellectually or philosophically. They picked the least offensive name in the world, short of calling it the university, which, by the way, was my vote. And it's but we do this all the time. You you love your uh, NCAA sports. You and I are big sports fans. So if we looked at, say, the the top 25 NCAA football schools last year, according to rankings, it's it's a big, big thing to name a university after a person. In fact, it's almost never done. Brigham Young is about it. And that's not the guy to name your university after. It probably wasn't even 100 years ago. So you, guess what? You get Alabama. Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. That's how they do it. We, we probably need to do that a little bit more because what's the point in, in giving a moniker, uh, a, a person's name to a university when, like you said, half the people at, at least will be upset by it? Well, not to give away any trade secrets, but what the hell. Um, Murray Sinclair University and Terry Fox University, of course, made the medium list. They didn't make the short list. And that's because they just did not want to pick a name and have any possibility that 50 years from now we were going to go through this again. So that's why they took names off the list. The other binding constraint, and I sympathize with this, is there happens to be a really big, very good school at Bloor and St. George called the University of Toronto. And you didn't want to have the name too much echo that school. The problem is, is that the former you-know-what has sold itself as being the downtown school, the downtown campus. And when Sheldon Levy was president, synonymous with Toronto. So you knew you had to put Toronto in there somewhere, but you didn't want it to follow the word university and make everybody upset over at Bloor and St. George. So I know that Sheba doesn't like the name and I understand (laughs) why, but they picked, they picked a vanilla name for a reason. And in that sense, in trying to find a name that offends nobody, I think they were successful. My stress point when you brought up Terry Fox, Terry Fox University, is just seeing it would only take one to upset me is someone going, oh, great, another white guy. 
I can't, I, I don't, let's not compare Terry Fox's legacy with Egerton Ryerson's legacy. Let's not do that. But someone would have said that. We know that. Well, that was only half the problem. I mean, I agree with you. Although if you're going to name it after a token white guy, that might be the white <laughs> that's guy. That's the guy. Yes. Uh, that's the guy. The other problem was nobody wanted to see FU plastered around the campus. Never thought about that. And yeah. Well, you have to. See, that's the problem is that you have to. Uh, I don't want to get into this too in depth, but I know one person submitted the name Toronto Institute of Technology. But again, do you really want that on sweatshirts? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, my my uh, my daughter uh, and and my money go to TIT University. Right. Is not a no one thinks that that's good. So that's yeah, that didn't make it past the uh, the Zoom boardroom stage before the before the coffee even got cold. That was probably off the table. Well, because I respect the good listenership so much, I won't tell you some of the names that didn't win, but a couple of them had acronyms that just would have actually turned your good. your 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 coffee in the morning. Good. I mean, it was actually funny when and you could imagine what they are. A couple of them are ripoffs of schools in New York State. Mm. Um, and when you put the acronyms together, it was actually hysterical. And I'm like, did nobody think about this when I saw the list? But anyway, calmer heads prevailed. Um, you probably saw that we can't get the domain name because students started buying up the domains <laughs> instantly, which is hysterical, yeah. and started auctioning them off and said, if you pay my tuition, you can have it. So in, in, I don't know if this is breaking news or if anybody gives a darn, but the actual web page is going to be torontomu.ca. How many international students in Toronto, and and even not just at your school, but you know, maybe across the province? I I would guess most of the international students are here to go and live in Toronto, go to Toronto, uh, what's now TMU or to York. But that's not that's not the whole picture. Some go to Mac. A lot went to Western when I went there. Are, are we getting a lot of these students back? I'm I'm throwing this at you uh, w without asking you ahead of time. But is that the hope that we've got a very normal process because these universities need the these tuition fees and room and board fees um, to, to, you know, to, to make it to the waterline. Well, we absolutely do. And the answer is all we can say is let's hope because so far that hasn't happened. It's no surprise to you that the international students were the largest sector of the population that stayed away on mass you know, as a percentage of our student body. And you brought up the financial implications of that, but there were other implications. So take someone teaching online like me. We had course times. We were teaching, you know, we were teaching courses, not in the middle of the night, but in the evening, just so that we would accommodate those students taking our courses from faraway countries. So it's a lot more than just the economics that to get back to normalcy, we need the entire student body in the time zone in the lecture hall. But, you know, I think in September we're going to do that. But again, I'll give you breaking news that'll thrill. Well, probably nobody but you and me. We'll see. We'll see. About I'm that. teaching. I'm teaching two sections of first year in the fall and two sections of first year in the winter, one online, one in person. And what that's going to be interesting, and of course, I'll report back immediately, is we're going to be able to do some really interesting pedagogical experiments about the effectiveness of teaching online versus in class, because they're going to write the same tests and they're all going to be in person. So let's see, let's start to run some experiments about the differences of taking in the information when you're sitting in a lecture hall versus sitting behind a computer. And we're going to have a lot of data to finally do that. But that's a real what you brought up about about, you know, a gearing the course times to international students is really interesting. For example, a three o'clock lecture in Toronto, you getting in front of your computer and lecturing at 3 a.m. Let's say a student's in Tokyo, Japan, that's 4 a.m. over there. So 
so that was discouraged. And yet you've got evening time. Your kids are grown. Uh, you know, your wife's home at night with you like that. There'll be a lot of households for professors, I would think, or, or adjunct professors that can't make that work. Well, listen, I'm like my hero, Greg Brady. I'm a morning guy. So I like oh my to God. teach. I grab, I grab the eight o'clock in the morning time slot when I can get it. And it's probably no shock to you that I can always get it because nobody else wants it. But that was off the board. It was off the board during COVID because then you're going to leave students in China and India behind. But you so, got a student in BC. Couldn't you have a student in BC where it's 5 a.m. and they don't want to get up? They, they, they can't get up for your class? Oh, sure. I don't mean mean, get excited about it. That's another thing entirely. But I mean, actually wake up for it. No one's no one's excited for my (laughs) class. We can go to rate my professor and check that out. But the point is, is really there is only one perfect time. There's only one perfect time. And that is the set time in the lecture hall where the students sit, the professor speaks. There are interactions. And you know this. You went to you went to school that that's where the real conversations happen inside and outside the lecture hall. That's university. John Lennon was right. It's it's what happens when you're not expecting it. And you, and you didn't, that's what you didn't get online. I got 20 seconds. Uh, I saw my friend John Derringer in the hallway here and he's predicting uh, doom and gloom and dread for the Maple Leafs. Um, Are you feeling the same way? Uh, Yeah. I don't think they're getting out of the first round. If Vasilevsky gets hot, I'm not sure they score that many goals. But because you brought it up, I have to tell you, one time at Lululemon, we bumped into JD and my wife became all nervous. And I asked him if he'd take a picture with her. And he did. And I will respect him forever for that. The greatest guy, uh, the greatest guy uh, to get to see uh, every morning in the hallways. Awesome. Uh, Hey, uh, you're awesome, too. Thanks so much for the time today. Stay healthy, Greg. You got it. Shiba Siddiqui joins me now. We see this story. You flagged this story. I'll give you the headline. A woman on TikTok broke a Starbucks pay it forward streak and refused to be shamed for it. And it is, um, I, I, I watched the video of this. Um, explain the, 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 the concept here of, uh, of where she broke the chain, as it were. Okay, so paying it forward is when you're in a drive-thru or in a lineup somewhere. Usually it's a drive-thru. And you get to the front and, you know, you you place your order and then you get to the front. And when it's time to pay, they'll tell you, oh, the car in front of you just paid for you. Have you had this happen? Oh, yes. Several times. Just Okay, it's just been once for me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm tailgating too close. I'm right on the guy. <laughs> I'm right on the woman's bumper. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm not. I, I was thinking about it. And now uh, ixnay on that. It's not happening. Yes, I've, it's happened to me a couple of times. Now, do you pay? Do you continue? Do you pay for the car behind you? Oh, so oh, I thought you were supposed to come back another day and do it. And then I forget. Oh, no, <laughs> so you I, did I am a not. chain breaker. I'm a pay it forward chain breaker. Oh, that's brutal. No, I always pay for the car behind me because I'm always it's just such a nice surprise. Right. If you're in a hurry, whatever you've got, the kids yelling in the back, whatever it is. And it's such a nice surprise that someone did something so kind for you. So I always pay for the car behind me. So this woman, her name is Grace Joanna. She's uh, she released a TikTok video where she says she's absolutely against against paying for the person behind her. She said she has no obligation to do that. <laughs> this is something great that's happened in her day. It's the highlight of her day. Why should she ruin it by paying for the car behind her? What do you think of that? Um, I would. Well, you do it. That's right. who you are. I, well, You're it's only happened are, once. And you? now I know the rules. I did not know the I see it described now as a conga <laughs> line of morality, which I've never heard that phrase before. And that's so, going to stick with me. But uh, let's hear. Do you want to do the audio of Grace Joanna really quick? Let's Let's here's what she said and why she stopped the uh, pay it forward process at the Starbucks drive through. So today I went to the Starbucks drive through to get my little drink and sandwich as a hot girl does. And I go to the barista to pay and he goes, you don't have to pay me today. And I'm like, Tim, stop freaking messing with me. You always mess with me like this. He's like, you don't have to pay me. The person in front of you paid for your drink and food as a nice gesture. And I was like, 
This is an epic day. Today's my best day ever. People are so kind. Wow. And then he drops this bomb. He says, yeah, so for every five people in front of you, they return the gesture back. So you're telling me that these people were shamed and caught into this Congo line of morality that they had to give the gesture back? <laughs> I'm not that girl. I deserve to have a good day. I deserve this free sandwich, dude. You're not taking this away from me. That defeats the whole point. Okay, okay, that's enough from Grace Joy. First of all, I enjoyed right away. There's it's problematic, right? Describing herself as a hot girl is that, <laughs> is that a problem, right? I mean, self. No, she's got she's confident. Self Okay, that's self confidence. Is that self confidence? Okay, that's self confidence. Okay, I got you now. I got I you. I think she. I don't think she's a kind person. I don't think that's a no. I shouldn't say that. I don't think that's a kind gesture. As I don't think that you, it's a kind gesture for you either. No, I know. Someone's being kind to you. You should be kind to the person. Unless they're ordering like a $50 meal, right? If it's like We're, a coffee and a donut or whatever it is, just pay I, for I it. I think Gordon and I are thinking the same thing, though. He, him and I might be a solo uh, drive through inhabitant. You might have family of six behind you. And if I pay for you, then uh, kids, I can't, I can't pay for internet this month. You're paying for the people. No, I, I, you, you give what, whatever you want, whatever it, it depends. I just think. But that if you I should... say I, this minivan behind me, uh, with the woman honking at me, <laughs> who happens to be my producer extraordinaire on air control, she's honking again. Here, then I, I say, let me pay for that car behind me. They already know your price, so I've paid. But then they go, it's fifty eight dollars, sir. Well, then I don't think you should do it. Give them ten bucks. Oh, there's a dollar no, about. Give them ten bucks. Give them ten. Whatever. That's too it was. complicated. That's whatever like... you can afford. Oh. Whatever you think is fair. That you. Think think is a kind contribution to the car behind you no i think that it shouldn't be outrageous but just it's it's nice to do that brady next time that's done to you please pay for the car behind you i'll try i gotta see the order first gord right you gotta you just gotta know if there's a bunch of baconators and wendy's doubles involved it's a it's then if it's a meal as opposed to a quick snack or a drink I always thought the, whether it's for a hot girl or not. <laughs> the I rule think. was I always thought the rule was like you you do it when you want to do it. I didn't know you had to do it. That I didn't think I could. it is that is the rule. Uh. But it's nice to be nice, guys. Yeah. And not, karma, what goes around comes around. Oh, I, I hear you loud and clear on that one. Uh, I, I've experienced karma in my. Uh, I'll tell you about it off the air. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. You can always check us out live on the Radio Player Canada app or at six forty torontocom We'll be back with a live show tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 a.m. And your uh, podcast for tomorrow's show is right here where you downloaded this one. Feel free to subscribe, share with a friend, rate our podcast, tell us what we can be doing better. We always appreciate it. The constructive criticism, always welcome. Thanks very much.